0: We are so glad that each and every one of you are here. Uh, It is exciting to have a packed house to be celebrating, and I'm excited. One of my favorite moments of the year is getting to see the light grow in this place, and we'll do that in just a little bit. I I love this time of year. I love the lights. I love uh, the songs. I love just the Christmas traditions that we all have, all of us different traditions. It's a time of year that seems magical in a way that others don't. Uh, Or another word that we don't use near as often I'd like to talk about tonight is the word enchanted. It feels a bit enchanted this time of year. That's a word that's fallen out of use. And part of the reason we don't use the word enchanted anymore is because, well, the world's no longer enchanted as we used to believe it was. Or at least that's the way we see things. So you look back a few years, a thousand years, probably even 600 years ago. Every event on planet Earth was seen as if it was, there was more going on besides just the action that we put forth in the world. If it rained, we attributed that to the gods or, or to God. If, it, if there was healing that happened, we prayed to God and, and we believed that God could bring that healing. But in our world, it's amazing how the scientific uh, re- revolution, the enlightenment, those things shaped and changed our world in many ways to where we really have an explanation for most things that happened. As a result of those explanations, a lot of good things have happened, have come into our world, but it also has meant that we can kind of leave God out of it because we feel like, well, we've kind of got things covered. And, and today, as a result, fewer and fewer fewer people believe in God. And, and in a room this size, I know that we have people who are all across the spectrum. And like I said earlier, we want to know everyone to know you're welcome here. Welcome with all of your doubts and all of your questions. Faith has not been an easy journey for me, and I pray that you'd bring in all of that, any of it in with you. But I think it's important for us to acknowledge that we we have a spectrum, right? Some of us find ourselves more on the enchanted side of things. And on that side of the spectrum, we see everything as if God's moving things behind the scenes and we, we thank God for that. And we pray to God about every little detail. And, and for others of us, uh, we find ourselves more on the disenchanted side of things. We tend to kind of see things happening as they are. We know we're going to have to put things into action for things to happen. And we may pray to God in key moments, but we're not so certain uh, that God's moving as often as those on the other side of the spectrum. And I guess the question in the midst of that spectrum, wherever you find yourself tonight, is the question, if you, is the world merely made up of molecules, atoms, neurons, and the laws of nature that hold us in check? Or is the world filled still with the movement and action of God? And how you answer those questions actually uh, shapes what you think about the Christmas story, about what we come to celebrate tonight. So I want to read the Christmas story to you. I want to read from the Gospel of Luke. That's the book we're in right now as a church on Sundays, and we'll continue that story in the new year leading all the way up to Easter Sunday. Uh, But as we've read in Luke, I want you to imagine this story tonight. In Luke 2, if you have your Bibles, or I guess phones with the uh, darkness of the room as it is, if you... Take those out, that's fine. The words will also be on the screen. But I want to read verses 1 through 20, the story of Christmas that Linus uh, so famously has quoted. Uh, but I want you to imagine this, and I want you to think about this story from a disenchanted perspective. What is this story like if God's not involved? And, and then I want you to imagine differently from an enchanted view, if God is involved, what it is like. Very different sounding story. Let me read the way Luke writes this story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree She gave birth to the, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child he was given, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Now, when when Luke writes this story, he's writing from an enchanted worldview. Luke very much believes that God is involved in this story, and he writes it with that belief, that sense. He's done all the eyewitness accounts. He's probably heard from Mary herself and others that lived, that knew Jesus at the time. Some of you understand that way of seeing this story. But imagine with me for a moment that this story is told from a purely human point of view. Without God involved in this story, it's a tragedy, isn't it? It's dismal. The story begins with Caesar Augustus, the one in charge of the entire world, basically, at the time, taking a census. And a census was Caesar's way of flexing his muscles. A way of making sure he knew just what the taxes would be the next year and making sure he could count the fighting men he could depend on in his empire. And so he sends this decree out, and people all over the region were forced to travel to the origin of the father of the patriarch's hometown. And that's unfortunate for this peasant couple named Joseph and Mary. It's been a hard few months for this couple. Again, if there's no divine action in this story, it's a huge mess. This unmarried couple has to deal with an unexpected arrival. Somehow Mary wound up pregnant. And that provokes all kinds of questions from Joseph since they haven't been together. No one really knows what, uh, what to say about all this. And no one who knows them, again, if God's not involved, has any doubts about what happened in the story. The whole town is whispering about this child that was to be born out of wedlock. And because of Caesar's decree, this peasant couple with an unplanned child has to travel a hundred miles to an awkward conversation, I'm sure, along the way. The hometown of David. I checked Google Maps and uh, it's about a two-hour drive from uh, Nazareth to Bethlehem at least if they're willing to take the toll road. But if they're going to take Route 90, not paying, then it's three hours. But Mary and Joseph don't have a car, right? And by foot, it says that it's going to take 33 hours to get there. All because some powerful ruler in Rome wants to flex his power. And when they get there, they don't have a guest room available at the hotel. So Mary has to deliver this inconvenient child in a feeding trough. And even though the song we'll sing in a few minutes is titled Silent Night, this is anything but a silent night. Unless that silence is referring to the awkward silence between Joseph and Mary as Joseph tries to study the baby's face to determine who the real father might be. And the story isn't going to get any easier because their child will have to go back to the hometown and all the whispers will be there all through his childhood about this mysterious conception. And this telling of the story, if you struggle to see God's activity in the world, then it's easy to struggle through life trying to make sense of similar events in our own lives. Where is the purpose in all of this? Where is the hope that things could actually get better? The world is a dark place, and if it's all random, if there isn't a larger force at work in the world, then all of it's tragedy. It's easy to lose hope. But that's not the way Luke tells this story. Because Luke has an enchanted view of the world. Luke believes that God is involved in this story. Luke fully believes that there's something more at work than just the humans who are characters in this play. If you believe God's involved, this hard time might just be the hinge of human history. If if you believe God's involved, as Luke tells the story, then Caesar Augustus thinks he's the one pulling all the strings. He's the one in charge, but actually... What we know is centuries before, there was a prophecy given about a child that would be born, not in Nazareth, but in Bethlehem. So maybe it's not Caesar pulling the strings, maybe someone else is. In addition, Mary had received word from the angel Gabriel that this baby is the son of God. Mary had done nothing wrong in this picture. The Holy Spirit had caused her to conceive. And then there's this remarkable scene in a field where the angel tells this group of shepherds that the Messiah is born, and they'll know it's the Messiah when they find this baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. That's the sign they're to look for. And in the fields with their sheep, these shepherds get a show from the angelic hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace. Peace in the midst of a time that knew little peace with rulers like Caesar Augustus. This story seems impossible, unless you believe that God does break into our world in order to move it toward God's purposes. And if you believe that, well, then anything is possible. It really all depends how open-minded you are. You know, open-mindedness is one of the chief virtues of our day and age. One of the greatest curse words out there is that someone is closed-minded. One of the worst things you can be called is that. You just you don't have an open mind about this. But as I've been thinking about this story, it makes me wonder, who are the open-minded ones and who are the closed-minded ones? One of my favorite authors uh, put it this way. In our world, we often hear people talk about being open-minded and how religion can be stifling because of how closed-minded it can be. Now, it's true that religion can lead people to be incredibly closed-minded. But the terms open-minded and closed-minded aren't usually applied accurately. To believe that this is all there is and we're simply a collection of neurons and atoms, that's being being closed to anything beyond particular size and scope of reality. But to believe there's more going on here, that there may be reality beyond what we can comprehend, that's something else. That's being open. So on a night like this, maybe that's the question we need to ask. In the midst of our doubt and uncertainty, in in the midst of our spectrum of believing that the world is enchanted and, and others that are wondering if it's enchanted at all, maybe God's not active doing anything. I guess that's the question I would ask is, is there more going on than we can touch and taste and feel and see? Is there a God beyond us that's pulling this forward? Is there hope for us? Is the world closed? Are we just a bunch of molecules and atoms? Or is the world open? Is the world filled with the presence of God? For me, Christmas is that invitation. An invitation to believe there's more than we can see. An invitation to believe along with these songs that yes, this baby that was born has just changed everything.